Filmmaker J.P. Lippa is a longtime jazz fan and uses it in the soundtracks of his upcoming PBS holiday specials, Heirloom Meals with Carol Murko. His passion for swing music sent him after me to sing a jazzy winter wonderland on the show, accompanied by the great Mark Shane on piano. I talked with J.P. Lippa in the fall of 2012 before the airing of these PBS specials. I'm Judy Carmichael. And this is Jazz Inspired. JP often plays music to set a mood, both for himself and for the people he's filming. I think not only for the people involved in the film, we sometimes play music just to dictate a certain pace, a rhythm, an atmosphere more than anything. But I know privately when I'm writing or coming up with lighting diagrams or just trying to come up with basic composition ideas, composition meaning photography composition, um, that music, in particular jazz, just really calms me in a way that I feel like it opens me up. I don't necessarily know if jazz is begetting the creativity, but it puts me in a place that I feel like then I can get to where I'd like to be. I mean, it doesn't always work, of course. Nothing always does, but I know it's... um, in particular, jazz. I mean, I like all types of music, but jazz in its complexity, rhythmically and melodically, um, really can kind of just make me focus and zone. Well, that's interesting. So, listening to jazz or playing or both, or I'm sure that they serve different purposes in they your do. case because you're. But do you about this? Do you mean listening to jazz? Does that for you? listening to jazz for certain? Yeah, I mean, and I can span. Um, you know, all different generations of jazz and players. And depending on, I think, what sort of what I'm trying to do, if it's something where I feel like I need to be a little more energetic, then I kind of have my playlist of you know something that might spawn um, energy. Uh, if I need to be a little more mellow and I'm just trying to go for something chill, then, you know, I kind of have my 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 set for that, too. Um, but then I also play. But when I play is almost for an entirely different purpose. I mean, in fact, to use your music specifically, Lazy River from Mm -hmm. Chops, your arrangement Mm -hmm. on that is something that you play stride piano, which has a lot of energy and uh, can kind of get you in that mood. But I actually listen to your arrangement of Lazy River to to mellow me because there's something (laughs) just very flowing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you have moments in it, but that's that's one of them in my list of of when I need something to kind of kind of relax. I've had writers tell me that when they can't get anything on the page, that they'll listen to their favorite jazz improvisers because they're so out there all the time and putting themselves on the edge creatively and going for it that it inspires them to put pen to paper, to think, I can do this, I can get out there. So it's fascinating how that inspires in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm not a writer per se. I'm more of a visualist. And uh, although writers, I can completely see doing that. Um, you know, I do it for visualization purposes often. So. Right, which I yeah. find fascinating. I don't want French fried potatoes, red ripe tomatoes. I'm never satisfied. I want the frim fram sauce with the awesome fee, with shafafa on the side. I don't want pork chops and bacon, 
Talk about the project that you hooked me in on, which I was very excited. Yeah. About the whole heirloom meals, how that started, what you're doing, and how music plays a role in that as well. Because that, that's sure. all about the visuals to me. I mean, I know it's a cooking show, as in quotes, because it's not a normal cooking show. Culinary documentary is Thank you, thank it. you. Oh, yeah, I knew you had a phrase for it. But to me, it's just, I love your work, and it's so juicy visually. So talk about all of that and how that sure. developed. Um, well, to give sort of a brief history, mm-hmm. um, Heirloom Meals, uh, the Thanksgiving special. Uh, well, first, Heirloom Meals is based on a radio show hosted by Carol Murko uh, on NPR. And this is, say, the motion picture version of it. Um, and it was a little small project that we did two years ago with virtually no money. Um, but since I've been I've been very active locally speaking in Berkshire County, um, there's not a whole lot going on. But I've been doing as much as I can just to kind of lay certain roots there. Um, it's an area that I think is very photographically diverse. So. Um, this project came up and it presented itself um, again the motion picture version of her radio show which is a cooking show essentially like you mentioned Um, but I like to refer to this as a culinary documentary and uh, so we made the show and um, PBS picked it up they were very um, excited about it Um, they thought they could get some airtime out of it and we broadcast it uh, last year in November um, and uh, we had pretty good ratings. It aired 1,800 times and covered 90% of the country. Which is and huge for PBS. For the first time coming out to get 90%. That's y- Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like it's big to me. Is it was that big. big. Yeah. It is. And especially it's something that was made cheaply and essentially homebrewed. But it doesn't look cheap. It I have to say, that's visuals lighting, baby. <laughs> it is. There's a lot in lighting and composition. And I feel like that was one thing I was able to, you know, I was able to bring that particular um, facet cheaply because mm-hmm. I can do it myself and mm-hmm. I own my own camera and my lighting gear so um, that's sort of a different conversation that's technology and mm-hmm. where that is going um, but so with the success of that they urged us to try something else and Carol wanted to uh, this time do a Christmas special a Christmas themed culinary documentary and um, that's where I, you know we were talking we wanted to try to up the ante a little bit um, with maybe a slightly more diverse group of guests. Um, and, you know, I thought of you, of course, and uh, asked you, and you're nice enough to come and be on the show. I and loved it. I'm on a cooking show. I'm on a culinary <laughs> documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and the show itself is, um, you know, I don't want to put down cooking shows by, by saying this. They're very popular and they have their demographic. But uh, it, I wasn't totally interested in... in and following a certain formula. So that's why it's more of a documentary in that the essence of the show is really about the guests mm-hmm. and what they bring with their recipes that have been handed down through generations, through grandparents and parents, and in turn will be put down to their children and grandchildren. And um, it, that's really the heart is the, the stories. And so we have the traditional demonstration in the kitchen, the mm-hmm. way a cooking show would would have, but we also have interviews and landscape and tabletop photography and portrait photography, and we tried to really focus and make that um, as high production value as possible, as Hollywood, you might say. Well, as but possible. that's what makes it so special because that show to me, seeing your visuals and how you set up the shots and being a part of it, but but seeing what you did with the previous one, which I got to see the finished product. Uh, it is my fantasy 
of the perfect holiday situation, which in our minds is what everyone has, is this beautiful, beautiful, lots of food, lots of great food, friends around, all of that. And to me, it brings the celebration of the holidays back to what we would all like it to be. And everyone complains about everything so commercial and all that. And that's the opposite of this show. Yeah. Which I think, which I really I, loved I agree. about it. Yeah. It's something that I think we focused on specifically is mm-hmm. to try to make this um, as emotional as possible. And sometimes that means it may be slightly less formulaic mm-hmm. and sometimes might feel like we stumbled. But I feel like that's the uniqueness of the show. Um, stumble's probably the wrong word. It, it just has a certain uncharted feel to it, I think. And I think that's what people are responding to, Mm -hmm. to the show. And it isn't Um, movie stars. It isn't that kind of thing. You're just getting real people who actually are real people, not it isn't a reality show kind of real people, which to me is more fake than actors playing a role, you know, because these are people pretending to be real. But in this case, you've gotten people who have sent in their recipes who want to talk about it, and you talk about their story and how they got that recipe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The recipes, again, are handed down. Mm-hmm. And, and these these um, the guests become emotional about um, the recipes because this is something that's very important to people. Uh, it's very individualistic, and these things... Um, it's how they were reared and it's how they've developed throughout life and their experiences and what they've learned and they infuse that into the into the recipe and then it ends up being tweaked or changed which is to me very akin to to jazz yes and it is I'm thinking as you say it's handed down and developed that's and right. what kind of music because I don't know I mean I know what I did but I yeah. was performing what kind of music is playing because I haven't seen the finished product well there definitely is some um, a lot of swing. I'd say it's 75% in the world of jazz. There's mm-hmm. also some um, chorus-type stuff and even just very soft background just so it's not up in your face and yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't distract from the visuals and from you know, what, what the um, guests are saying. But uh, it's, it's chock full. When you see it, I think you'll, be, you'll know that it was done by someone who's a big jazz fan. <laughs> well, and you specifically like the earlier kinds of jazz style. Talk about some of your favorites because I know you play boogie yourself. I love that quote, that Dr. John quote that you told me. To say that because it's yeah. very funny. Yeah. Um, well, Jock, I, there's a DVD uh, by Dr. John mm-hmm. that, that I purchased that uh, has a lot of boogie in it and uh, it was one of my first DVDs training DVDs and in it he was talking about how he got inspired to play piano and uh, he said that well I certainly wasn't going to be able to play Art Tatum so I figured I'd start with a Texas boogie <laughs> and uh, I always thought that was was pretty funny. It's, and you play boogie. Yeah I do. I, I mean I try. I'm not a professional boogie woogie player but i play almost daily on it and it's one of those things that i also feel like i don't have to i don't have to think a lot and i think that is part of what um playing 
is for me and why it's important and why it helps balance me because I can kind of tune out. I can shut off and go on autopilot. And I feel like Boogie, at least at my level now, is one of those things that once I set my baseline in my left hand and I've practiced it a bunch, I can kind of let it go. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just making stuff up scale-wise on my, my right hand. And um, Who's I, your favorite? Boogie Pyro. Do you have a favorite? Uh, you know, I like the I like Albert, uh-huh. Albert Hammonds. I like um, Jimmy Yancey. Dr. John's a great one. Someone I really like and who is somewhat rare and I don't see many records is Carl Sonny Leyland. And uh, he was just a grandmaster boogie-woogiest and blues piano. And he sang, too. Um, and you can tell there's nothing studio about him. He just plays, it sounds like, an old upright piano, often in a bar. Like, the recordings are just, they're great. They're not polished. Sonny Leyland on Shout for Albert, another source of inspiration for my guest, filmmaker J.P. Lippa. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. You mentioned Art Tatum. We all love Art Tatum, but tell me for you, well, what's the mood that you want when you put on Art Tatum? There's a good question. When I play Tatum, often I feel like that would be... um, a point where I have nothing. That's the point where I'm looking for anything. It's not even um, a mood necessarily since he plays everything. Um, that It's more like how, how do I get to the place that I need to? If I, have, if I have a blank slate, I listen to Art Tatum because he really, um, I mean, there's no one like him. And I've heard a couple quotes from very prominent piano players that, that said, um, Everyone, every piano player, no matter how big or how little, has to deal with the fact that Art Tatum existed. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I always think of Tatum as one of those 
as epitomizing that thing that you're always balancing as an artist, any artist, is being appropriately insecure to inspire you and not get complacent, but also not so insecure that you never want to play again. And Art Tatum, it's always a fine line. That's very funny. <laughs> Are you inspired to practice or do you, you never want to, want to play again? A fan, I, I find it because you're a filmmaker that it's appropriate that the music in Woody Allen movies got you going with jazz too, because he's had great music in his movies. And was there anything specific? Do you have a, a specific memory of of hearing something of his? I, yeah, I think Woody Allen movies actually. Um, when I look back at sort of my progression in jazz, I think it was my early love for Woody Allen movies that may have even triggered it all, since. I mean, from the first credit to the last credit of his movies is, is just wall-to-wall jazz. Um, but, of course, Manhattan, which from a photographic standpoint with black-and-white anamorphic photography is just one of the stellar pieces of cinema out there. And when you have George Gershwin playing over that, you know, it's so palpable. And I, even though that's been used quite a bit at this point, um, every time I see that movie, you know, I think back to when I was younger and I didn't know it then how uh, much of an impression it made on me. But the, the black and white photography in the opening sequence with the fireworks and just the iconic places um, all throughout New York with Rhapsody in Blue is just it's mind blowing. Even to this day, when I see that movie, I'm always shocked that it even exists. It's a great film. And then you've got the early movies of Woody Allen, which I love too. I always call the the uh, Sleeper, Bananas, um, and Love and Death sort of the trifecta of early Woody Allen movies. Because everyone, of course, says we love the early ones, which he makes jokes on now. Mm-hmm. But those movies were were just full of his clarinet jazz. I think right out of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. 
You're making me think about what I thought, because I loved Woody Allen movies, but I was a girl in Los Angeles wanting to move to New York. So I was focusing on this sounds, this seems like the best place to move uh, for what I want to do. And of course, I was listening to the music. But as a musician, uh, and somebody who was interested in a lot of the music specifically that Woody also likes of that period, I was really struck by him using very often the actual recordings, which a lot of movies don't do. And I know they don't because of the rights and all of that. But that then impressed me even more that he used them because they had such impact because they are great performances, not just great music. They're very often he's using a Sidney Bechet performance. Speak to that a little bit. If you think that does make a difference in the film, if it's just fine writing something that sounds just like it. I mean, that's a big subject, but you know what I'm asking. Yeah, I think that's that's very quintessential Woody Allen to me. Um, he wants everything to be completely authentic. He won't shoot on um, digital cameras. He will only shoot on cellulite. He will only photochemically develop his films. Um, and I think that that is aligned with how he thinks about his music, too. Mm. He wants it to be, at least to me, as as raw and as real as possible. And those the older recordings, he loves the record scratches. He loves the fact that it's not perfectly polished or maybe it's slightly out of tune. Um, and whether or not he thinks of that in terms of his movie and whether it's a part of the movie, I don't know. But I do know that because that is there, it really gives his films a certain feel. Like you mm. always know you're watching a Woody Allen movie because of these things. Oh, that's interesting. So, you, so it does. You really do as a filmmaker think that makes a big difference. I think it's big. I think if you tried to copy it, it wouldn't work. I think if if someone went and did it, it would seem like a Woody Allen movie. And so, <laughs> oh, that's interesting because see, I'm always just impressed they're they're using the real. I'm coming at it as a person who performs this music, so it always strikes me. Yes, I like the movie if if I'm interested in a movie and they use something, but there is a little part of me back there that goes, they went for it, and used the real Coleman Hawkins performance of Body and Soul. They didn't use it as their temp score and then get somebody to do an inferior, in my, to my humble ears, not so humble ears, an inferior version. So I sort of come at it with that. But you think just that authenticity gives the whole film a different feel. You do think that. I definitely do. Yeah, I think that's a big reason why I respond to Woody Allen movies, you know, the way I do. And I know I'm not the only one out there.
Sidney Bechet from the soundtrack of Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and Robert's Restaurant in Watermill, New York. Learn more at opentable.com. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel in Sag Harbor, New York. Visit theamericanhotel.com. And Jazz Times, America's Jazz Magazine now presenting legal travel to Cuba for jazz fans on the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, And to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is filmmaker J.P. Lippa. It's interesting about timing, too, because I've, I've talked to people and I'm fascinated with how music expands or shortens a film. And are you... You've just finished. You're just at the final editing phase of Heirloom Meals, your Christmas show, so you've been thinking about that. Do you have an edit that you think is great, and then when you listen to it with the music, you go, oh, no, that I have to change the edit. It, now the pacing of it's different when you actually have the music in it. Does that ever happen? Occasionally. I think what happens more often than not is you have your rough cut, which sometimes has temp music and other times has nothing. And that's the, that's the initial rough cut, what we call it. And the rough cut's very hard to watch, um, and it's hard to show people a rough cut. Um, even when you explain to them, this isn't the pacing, this isn't how it's going to be, uh, it's still very hard because the color timing is off. And um, in particular, I think what it's always lacking is the music in terms of timing and rhythm. So what I think happens is the rough cut seems really long and unbearable to watch. And then once you get your music in there, it it becomes like it shrinks it in time. It feels like, wow, did we just watch something? Wow, that was good. And that was it's entirely based on the music being appropriate for um, the part, for the mm-hmm. segment or for mm-hmm. the scene. 
and you know whether or not it's timing up rhythmically. So I do think you can use music to elongate a scene, but more often than not, where I see it works really well is in sort of truncating mm-hmm. um, a piece. Uh, I feel like Heirloom Meals, although it runs 56 minutes, the rough cut felt like two hours without <laughs> music. <laughs> I've had some concerts feel that way, actually. <laughs> but no, I know what you're saying. That's interesting. Sleigh bells ring, are you glistening in the lane? Snow is glistening, a beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland, gone away, is the bluebird here to stay? Is the new bird, he's singing a song as we go along. Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we will build a snowman And pretend that he's a Santa clown We'll have lots of fun with Mr. Snowman Until the other kitties knock him down Later on we'll conspire As we dream by the fire To face unafraid the plans that we've made Walking in a winter wonderland Yeah I'm singing and Mark Shane is playing piano on Winter Wonderland from our appearance on Carol Murko's Heirloom Meals Christmas Special on PBS. I'm Judy Carmichael and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is Heirloom Meals director, filmmaker J.P. Lippa. Having watched you work and done a bit of film work, I know what it takes to set things up. I've even laughed about it because I've done photo shoots that the setup takes two hours and then they shoot me 20 minutes and I go home. And I love that, but it's all lighting and setup and all of that. And that is so specific. You're really putting things together. You've got a vision. You're making that all happen. The opposite of really what's happening with the jazz situation. I mean, we have all of our our setup is our practice and our years of playing. And then we sort of forget all that, in quotes, forget all that. And then we play. Are you doing that when you film in a way or are you not? Talk about that process. It just came to me. It's really interesting. Yeah, it it is. In fact, I think I was just having a conversation that was very similar to this, how um, jazz is very improvisational, um, whereas I was sort of making an analogy to film that it was a lot more structured. Mm -hmm. I think that's somewhat weird. There's a lot more of a formula Mm -hmm. that goes into it and not just – the overall piece, but every component to it, including what makes up a given shot, where the camera's placed and how we're going to light this, even that comes down to formulas. Um, And so I was saying that I felt like the reason why I love jazz so much is because that I was able to express things more spontaneously on on, just on the spot, whereas my job often I feel like is very structured. Um, And that was sort of my initial thought. But then you know, when I really think about it, um, I think there is improving going on because although I may set up a light 45 degrees from the camera for a particular colored skin or, or hair, um, there's a lot of tweaking that goes on and knowing whether or not it needs to just 
you know, be pushed over another five degrees or it needs to go over here. And often that comes up very quickly. You don't have a lot of time to think about that stuff. So although it is a formula in the same way that we play a pentatonic scale, mm-hmm. um, there that's a formula, but you're not you're you're playing it out of rhythm or out of and you're context. using that as a launching point. Yeah. So so when I think about it, I think there is a lot of improving. Um, maybe not as much as I like um, that I get out of playing just off the cuff. Yeah, I wondered if it was if it was a release in that way. And you never know what's going to happen because you've invited people to come up to be on this show, and you really don't know what's going to happen. Till they get there. You know what their recipe is. And you've maybe seen a picture of them. But each of them has a different personality. Maybe they're comfortable on camera. Maybe they're not. I'm laughing in my inside because I'm thinking about the wonderful Mark Shane who played piano for me and who I caught eating part of the set. And I had to stop him from that. So, I, so I'm out there trying to replace it so no one will notice that it still looks as good as you had it all set up. And he says, I thought we were done. No, Mark, you're eating the set. You know, and then funny. yeah, no, and you never know. There's there's always something like hungry musicians. You should never have them at a shoot. That's the problem. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah and we're well, always hungry. So no, that's interesting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. You also talked about Thelonious Monk, and I love it when people bring up Monk because I know what a fan you are of stride piano and boogie and all that. And a lot of people don't know that Monk did some stride things too. Talk about Monk and what you like about him because that's he's a real mood setter in a totally different way. He is. Um, yeah, well, I think the whole bebop generation, you take Bud Powell and Thelonious Monk are sort of the fathers of that. Um, and their their style, what we know as bebop, is essentially sort of um, a mutated version of stride in some degree. And, and I think, I always think of it, bebop, I think of Monk playing and I, I sort of always think like, well, in Monk's mind, I'm sort of tired of playing the low bass and jumping back up to a chord. So for this one, I'm just going to play the C and the B flat and just open. I'm just going to leave it at that. And then when I switch to the F, I'm just going to play an E flat and an A. And that's it. And there's an efficiency to, to Monk, I think, that I've responded to. Um, it's certainly very complex uh, with the chord substitutions and harmonic elaboration. The things that they do are complex, but I think it was all, um, it comes out of stride. It comes mm-hmm. out of swing. Um, and that's why I think Monk was so great because he took that and then um, much like we change a recipe, he sort of changed this to his own style. And he also did things that weren't really um, harmonically um, pleasant sounding and I think that's also why a lot of jazz musicians really like him like he would always smash seconds and he played E flat and a D at the same time and that would become like a great melody like how not many people (laughs) can do that Uh, just watching Monk if you're one of the fortunate people who got to see a film of him or see him in person I didn't see him in person but he looks just like it sounds. You see how he's getting those sounds, which is really lovely. And it's it's a release for me because I'm mainly self-taught. And I know when I got to see films of some of these people and realized that so many of the greats went their own way and really played very differently. Uh, they, I hate to say, broke rules, but they found things that worked for them 
and came up with these very original sounds, which I'm sure is the same with filmmaking. As you say, there's lots of rules for getting certain shots or something like that, but I'm sure that you've discovered things along the way that you thought, I didn't know I could do that with this. And you come up with a beautiful look or something that works really well. And I wouldn't know, if I didn't know the rules, Right. I wouldn't be able to break them. It's sort of that adage that you mm-hmm. hear. Um, and it's it's one of, I've really started to understand that. In mm-hmm. high school and college, you hear people say that, but you have no real perspective on what that means. Mm. Um, and I think as I've developed as a filmmaker and sort of a hobbyist jazz musician, that um, I understand that a lot more. And I can see where these people who are, are revolutionary, mm-hmm. uh, like Monk, um, and certain filmmakers, Woody Allen, I can see how, you know, where that comes from. They know They the know rules. what they're doing. very interesting project with Michael Jackson that I want to talk about a bit. See, I always wanted to meet Michael Jackson and find out if he liked jazz because he was such an incredible talent and uh, could do all these things. And I've, I have been fortunate to meet a number of rock people, who specifically rock more than what I'd consider pop, who are big jazz fans. People just don't know it. And they say, oh, yeah, I listen to so-and-so, I listen to so-and-so, or whatever. But I never got that fantasy. But I do get to talk to you because this was really his last, that you were filming him during his last project, right? Talk a little bit about that because I think that's really interesting. Yeah, well, in the capacity that I was working with Michael, um, it, it wasn't so much from a musical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Although if we look at, at, at Michael Jackson's um musical history, there has to be a certain amount of jazz influence, I think. You know, it's just, it's in his voice, it's in his rhythm, his intonation. It seems that way to me. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why he's been as successful as as he has, because Mm -hmm. you take something that's that's very jazz-like and unique, and then you put it into something that might be more of a pop environment. And now you've got a really big superstar. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael Jackson fell into that that um, that mold, and it was the right time and the right place for him. Um, in the capacity that I was working with him um, was during um, the preparation for This Is It, which was the series of comeback concerts in London. And uh, I was hired to shoot sort of intimate behind the scenes with him working with his backup dancers. And at the time, they were also auditioning vocalists for the show. So um, it was a little bit of a surreal, odd experience 
to be honest. It would um, have to. And I would think I would think I'd, I'm I'm interrupting you but but as you're saying this, I also think that for me one of the things when I'm having conversations with people on this show and some of the other shows I've done, I have to not go off. Somebody will say something really interesting and that interesting to me specifically personally and I want to jump on it and it will distract me from the task at hand. And I would think that would be a nuclear version of that, being backstage with Michael Jackson, one of the most talented people, I think, who ever lived. Whether you like his music or not, this is a guy loaded with talent. And your job was to shoot him auditioning people. So you're in the thick of his creative process and what he's doing. How does one stay focused with that and think, I'm filming this, but wow, that's interesting. Oh, that won't be interesting. I'm supposed to do this. Talk about that. I would think that'd be very challenging. That's it's funny. It, um, and a couple of funny stories um, in, in that sense. Um, when I first, I mean, I got a call time. Call time is the, the time that you show up on set. So I get a call. This is when you're going to show up. And um, I show up and I, I have my own camera. It was one of the reasons why I got hired is because I owned um, – uh, a red camera, which was sort of a state-of-the-art camera at the time. And uh, so I show up at the studios in Burbank where they're rehearsing. And um, the moment I get out of the car, someone runs up to me and says, I thought we told you to have that camera assembled and ready to roll the moment you showed up. I said, no, I, I didn't get that didn't get that message, but uh, I'll make sure I know that for tomorrow. So I said, I need 15 minutes. I assemble the camera. Um, as I go in, another guy um, stops me and says the same thing. I thought you were supposed to have that ready to go, right? And I said, same, same thing. Okay, I, I'll know that for tomorrow. Sorry about that. So he says, um, so Michael's over there in the studio. They're auditioning vocalists. We need as much beautiful footage as possible. Um, but whatever you do, make sure you don't point the camera in his direction for very long. So it was... But film him and get lots of good stuff, but don't point it at him very long. Yeah, okay. exactly. So a bit cryptic. Um, and he also says, <laughs> and whatever you... A bit impossible, it sounds like. Yeah, but it was wow. not not a stressless situation. Um, and well, he and also they've already yelled at you twice, too. Already been yelled at and told not to point the camera too long in Michael's direction. Um, and so I said, is there a time limit? You know, five seconds, 10 seconds? Um, he doesn't know. So when I first get literally almost pushed into the the situation where here's Michael Jackson sitting down um, with a couple producers and the mm-hmm. director auditioning, um, yeah, it was it was a bit intimidating. And did the they other introduce th- you, or you're just this this invisible person? No, no introduction at all, which made things even you know. Um, I felt like I was walking on eggshells yeah, because I'm coming I into this so. in the middle of. Um, this audition. So obviously people know they know there's another person in the mm-hmm. room. Um, and of course, it's it's Michael Jackson. So I think I for about a half an hour, I stayed away from him completely because I was very nervous. Um, and I was just concentrating on the vocalist. Occasionally, I'd get behind the vocalist to kind of see Michael in, in the background. And eventually, I, I mean, I knew I was being paid to do a job. So I was like, OK, I just I have to sort of test these waters. And uh, I, I went in to get a closer shot of Michael. And Michael was sitting down. Um, and I don't particularly love shots looking down on people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just there's not a lot of depth to them, mm-hmm. and they're not always attractive. So I knelt down with the camera and got pretty close. And the moment I did that, he looked directly into the camera, and he goes, "Is that HD?" And this is in the middle of 
the audition. So people are singing Billie Jean, and Michael turns to me the moment I get close for, for a nice shot uh, of him, and he says this, and I didn't know what to say. I was speechless. He says it again. Is that HD? And I don't really know what to do at this point, so I start talking to him. And Did <laughs> you answer it? Yeah. He said he thought it looked like a film camera, which is true. The red camera is sort of an awkward-looking uh, well, it's not awkward. It doesn't look like a traditional video camera. Oh, okay. In fact, it looks more like a film camera. And he's mm. very used to being filmed on both. Um, and he also has an interest in cameras. So he's asking me questions about the camera as this auditioning is going on. And all I can keep, all I think is, you know, any second now, some large man is just going to rip this camera from my hands. Because you're I'll distracting never... him and you're not supposed to. And were you still filming him while I, you're talking? I was trying to do my best. Uh, I have no idea, you know, how, how that footage crazy. came out. But, you know, that so was... So he was, it wasn't about being... Whether you were flattering him with the shot, he was really interested from a technical standpoint. Very interested from a technical standpoint about the red camera. Yeah. See, I find this fascinating because I'm interested in how people create, but also in the challenges that people don't think about with what we go through and something like that. You're given a job, you're told a certain thing, but then you're not given direction on how you're going to make it happen, and then something like that happens, so how do you improvise around that? That's fascinating. Yeah, it was it was difficult, you know. Were I, you thrown out or did you get to stay? <laughs> I, I wasn't. <laughs> they didn't grab you by the neck and throw you out no, the door. No. <laughs> I, I you know, I but every time I had that camera trained on him for more than five seconds, I sort of felt the ghost of someone's hand on me. I, I was nervous every time you know, I was in that direction thinking like I was uh, had the camera on him too long. He wasn't comfortable. He was just going to walk out, and that would be the end of it all. Um, but it didn't happen, and I, I got some really fantastic shots um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that, as far as I know, maybe the last very high-quality um, footage of him um, outside of the this is it movie that mm-hmm, came out mm-hmm. um, that was all photographed on high definition that was the night before he um, he passed away mm-hmm. but the footage that I was involved in was a lot more intimate it wasn't him on a stage mm-hmm. um, having choreographed everything it was him auditioning and interacting and creating and that's a lot more interesting I think because it's it's the real thing you get to see what he's really doing and was he able to – were you the only person doing that? Was he able to sort of forget about you so that it, it was real? He wasn't just performing for the camera? Or how did you feel about that? Did he seem pretty natural? He did. He was able to um, turn it on and off mm-hmm. sort of as mm-hmm. needed. Uh, if if he was concentrating on a very specific thing, then it was no problem. Um, but as we mentioned, he was very uh, inquisitive about the camera. It's fascinating. And um, in fact – I'm pretty sure the last um, the last press photo of Michael Jackson is him operating my red camera because it's the one that got released everywhere on every tabloid it was on every um, every news station this was right when he passed and when I saw it I just uh, this is the last this must be the last because I have nothing else to use or something it was very weird to me that the last picture of Michael Jackson is a shot of him operating a movie camera as opposed to something that might be more musically inclined. Another day has gone I'm still all alone How could this be 
What kinds of things do you want to do that you're looking to produce and to film and that sort of thing? What would you like to do? My mind is is very focused on documentary work right now. And I think um, Heirloom Meals was sort of my first attempt at something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I still have Hollywood aspirations, so to speak, maybe not so much from a directing standpoint, mm -hmm. but I would love to be involved with um, – you know, like a good night and good luck, George Clooney's mm -hmm. movie. Something mm -hmm. that's not huge but is big enough where you can flex your muscles mm -hmm. um, creatively mm -hmm. and not have to always be crunched with money and time. Mm -hmm. um, but from a directing standpoint, I've really been thinking about documentaries and um, just things that are very relevant to to the time and also things that I can do virtually by myself mm. with without much help. Um, with a bigger movie, I can't do that as much. Um, and I think with documentaries, I'm able to, um, I can edit them, although I didn't edit Heirloom Meals. It was edited by Derek Ambrosio, who I went to film school with, mm -hmm. um, a stellar editor. Um, and I, just, I feel like it can be a little more personal, mm -hmm. maybe in the sense of, in, to make a music analogy, um, where I really feel like that's an art form because you can you play with an ensemble, but you can also play by yourself. Mm, mm -hmm. And yeah. that's a very true, I feel like that's very true to the artist, whereas big filmmaking, it's a little bit harder to, um, to express yourself. You have a lot of constraints. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I won't speak for every filmmaker. Maybe they have a different opinion, but I feel like in the bigger movies that I've been involved with that often... Things have to be diluted a little bit sometimes. Because there's more um, people involved? I think so. Whereas documentary, I feel like I can do the filming of it. It's generally um, the ideas that I've been thinking of are um, ideas, personal ideas, things mm -hmm. that I think are, are relevant for this time period mm -hmm. um, and that aren't, aren't extravagant mm -hmm. and can be produced in something that's not excessive Mm -hmm. The technology has gotten is has gotten very good, mm -hmm. um, and it's allowed a lot of people to make high quality projects um, in an inexpensive way. You still have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You still have to know where the record button is. <laughs> Well, yeah, we all have the technology now. I remember I had a, a wonderful graphic designer say that to me when everything was starting to come out, and he did my first uh, CD, and he got all excited. Milton Glaser, the wonderful Milton Glaser, who started New York Magazine and great, well-known graphic designer, did the I Heart New York, all of that. And he got very excited about doing this, and then he says, oh, it's going to be a CD. And then he was less excited because it was so small, right, you know. Right, yeah. And he told me about everything was going digital and it was doing different things. He said they still have to know what they're doing because he was saying that because he, of course, could draw. He came from a much different generation and can do all these things. So what do you think of all the computer animation and computer this? He said, it's great, but they still have to have the talent to know what to do with it. <laughs> so same it's thing. It's true. Still know how to light a shot. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people um, – feel threatened to some degree, you know, that their skill set is disappearing. And it could be true, but I think it's more of it's changing mm -hmm. um, more than disappearing. I mean, certainly there are industries that are disappearing. Mm -hmm. But the, with music and with film, um, I think what's just happening is things are shifting and for, for a good reason. Um, and 
I think that it's allowing people to express themselves, people that may not have had a chance mm-hmm. uh, due to monetary things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just big budgets are not the easiest thing to deal with sometimes. Right, right. So there's a lot that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the cameras nowadays are fantastic. It's I'm really always amazed now. In the last three years, it just they keep coming out too. You know, it's, there's a real rapid boom in, in technology. Um, so it's it's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. But like you said, you you still have to know the basics. Yeah, but uh, it's giving people. What I'm hearing is that it's giving people with an idea and talent and a vision an opportunity to where before you had to have a big budget behind you to even start with something like that. And now you can make something happen. And tell everybody about the show. When will it air? Do you know exactly when it will start airing? Sure. Because it's uh, a Christmas special. So It's a Christmas special, and they're actually going to rebroadcast the Thanksgiving special to kind of preempt mm-hmm. the Christmas one. And mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving special will air most likely during the week of mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then Christmas to to broadcast a few weeks after. So mm-hmm. sometime in, in early to mid-December. And what's your website so people can find this and they can find their local PBS station? Heirloommeals.com mm-hmm. will have all the listings. Um, and, of course, you should check your own PBS listings for exact times and dates. But it will be airing all throughout the country. I can imagine it will probably get better coverage than Thanksgiving. So it will be every- everywhere. It's exciting. And you talked me into singing a Christmas tune. First time on television I've ever sung, so I'm very excited. First time, It really? is. Well, it is. And it's a Christmas tune. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to be very excited for oh, that. Oh, it's good. It was really fun. And as I said, we had the wonderful Mark Shane on piano when he wasn't eating the set. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll, ha- we'll have a little behind the uh, behind the scenes DVD. To yes, see you need if the you can see, Yeah, which part Mark Shane <laughs> ate in the background. Oh, perfect. Uh, thank you, JP. This was so much fun. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to filmmaker JP Lippa. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidoff. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special. And the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashmon sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to NOLA Recording Studios in New York City and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel in Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more at theamericanhotel.com. Support is also provided by East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. 
Visit ehit.ws for information. And the I Love Jazz Classic Jazz Festival in Brazil, featuring great musicians from around the world, myself included. Visit ilovejazz.com.br for more information.